Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. This is Paul Beers, CEO and Managing Member for GCI Consultants, and I will be your host today. We're going to do part two of a podcast that we started last month with our senior consultant, Dan Johnson, and dig deeper into the topic of windows and doors and testing and whatnot. Dan joined our team of experts in April of this year, and he's been a really strong addition to our team. So welcome back, Dan. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, so we had a really interesting discussion last time. There was so much to talk about that we decided that it'd be good to have a part two here, and I'm really excited about that. Just for those that may not have listened to part one, maybe you can give a little run-through of your background before we get into today's topic. Yeah, definitely. I'd be happy to. I graduated uh, with a BS degree in engineering technology with a quality control emphasis. And um, out of college, I went right into the building and construction industry as a um, as a test technician for a number of years, testing windows and doors for air, water, structural performance, acoustic performance. And then as I progressed in my career, I built a couple of different laboratories for architectural testing, and one for intertech testing services, continuing in the air, water, structural testing of windows, doors, curtain walls, mock-ups, and then also in in the thermal testing for U-value and condensation resistance factor testing. So I have a little over 34 years of experience in, in both laboratory and field quality control and forensic testing and evaluation services. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about what, so you've been with GCI now for what, like about six months, I think, and coming up on six months. So what have you been doing since you joined GCI and what, what's your role at this point? Yeah, my, my role with GCI, as with any with any new position, has kind of been evolving. I've been assisting with not only the GCI podcasts and blogs, as I've become acquainted with GCI customers, I am the the window expert for GCI consultants. And what, what that entails is, is basically going on site, reviewing claims that are potential litigation claims, and just confirming that the windows and doors have been installed correctly, tested correctly, and then assisting window manufacturers in the final result of litigation claims, um, depositions, you know, court appearances, or testimonials, and that, and that type of thing. So the role is continually evolving. I'm also assisting you know, with, with my testing background in becoming a GCI or, or becoming AMA accredited for, for field testing. So I'm assisting with, with that transition and working with, with training our technicians and, and the other consultants. So on, on the consulting side, who typically would be your client or who would hire you for a, a GI assignment? Typically, either the window, man, window wall, storefront fenestration product manufacturer or representing attorneys who would hire me. Yeah, and so you, you also mentioned that you're helping GCI with AMA accreditation for field testing, which is something we've never had before not necessarily needing it for forensics and things like that, but it does provide another layer of depth that we're really excited. So thank you for helping us with that. And obviously 
That's right, Inglehouse. Yeah, I think that that'll just give uh, give GCI you know, another set of credentials. You know, be it accredited, that kind of shows that we do ongoing training, and our quality control system is is what is ISO accredited and adds credentials to the testing that we do. You know, both in you know, new construction, you know, quality control type testing, and, and then also, you know, like you said, it's not needed for the forensics, but it gives our our technicians, you know, that that, that they have been trained on the proper processes and, and how to perform the tests. Yeah, very cool. So last episode, we talked a lot about laboratory testing and your wealth of knowledge there, some of the different tests that were required air water structural and then some of the other tests and we talked about some of the organ standards organizations and things like that and what we didn't get into that, that i'm really excited about talking about today is field work field testing so we were in the lab in the first episode and now our part two we're going to go out into the field how's that sound yeah that sounds great it's just a natural transition if you have you can have a for like we mentioned on the last podcast is that you can have a phenomenal window that tests great in the laboratory, but if it's not installed correctly, then um, you will potentially have issues. And the way to determine uh, where the issues are is, is through laboratory um, testing and field testing investigation. question that, that I've had, that I've been asked many times by consumers and, and even contractors is, if a product tested in a laboratory why do I have to do a field test now? The field testing is, is basically it's a it's a quality control check to verify that the that the, the there wasn't any damage to the windows during shipment and 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 also during installation and it's also to verify that the installer in, installed the product correctly you know per the manufacturer and code and, and code and regulations but it's more of a quality control check just to verify that everything was done correctly. Yeah, like I mentioned, you can have a great laboratory test window, but if it's not installed correctly, you still will probably have issues. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, that comes to mind is the the laboratory. Obviously, the, the window's installed in a certain way as, as in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions, but it couldn't possibly account for all the varying field conditions that you would have with surrounding conditions of maybe stucco or wood siding or brick or variety of other things. So the, can the field testing account or evaluate that interface as well? That is correct. Typical laboratory test, you're testing the product only. So everything interior of the installation is what you're testing. You know, so in a laboratory test, you're really not testing the different sealing or flashing techniques that could be accounted for in or should be accounted for in a, in a, in a regular in a field. Uh, application. So yes, the field test is not only testing the window product itself, but it, it is testing the different variations in building construction. Uh, because as everybody knows, during construction, there isn't a, a perfect surround opening. The installers use the, the various um, flashing sealing techniques, and the, the, the field test is just to verify that they've done it correctly. Yes, we've been talking about water testing. What other tests can be done in the field or, or would be recommended for an evaluation? Yes, depending on you know, the location, you know, i.e. your weather conditions, you can also run an air infiltration, an air exfiltration test, you know, just to verify you know, that all the weather stripping contacts are, are correct. 
and then the, 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 your product performs per industry standards. A few other more, more on the forensics end of it, you know, there is a uh, frost point testing of the insulated glass with the STM F, uh, e 574, I'm sorry, and 576 that you can do just to verify if there are issues with glass so that you have um, your insulated glass is fogging up some, you can, you can run a, a quick frost point just to verify that the seal has not broken down from a previous storm or from age of the product. And then there are also different dynamic type of testing that, that can be done where, where you can actually put a dynamic blower on the outside and do a water investigation test also. But yeah, it's not only water penetration, but you, you can do air infiltration, frost point, you know, just do um, some destructive type, taking off of more forensics, but you know, taking off exterior components just to see how everything was installed and then flashed if it was done correctly. You mentioned in the first episode that some of your credentials and one of the things that you said was you're a fenestration master professional, and I believe that's an AMA certification. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so yeah. basically what that entails is so close to 20 different segments of the window and door and installation into facets that the person that needs to review and, and learn goes all the way from just the basics nomenclature of the products all the way through the, the different types of sealants, the different types of finishes on, the, on, on different products, all the way through the different types of installations that, that can be done, and then also going through the, the various uh, test procedures, kind of highlighting the different test procedures. And then once you're done with that training, then you, you take an exam and you have, you have to have a minimum of 80% correct on the exam. And if you are, then you're considered a fenestration master professional. And then what that credential entails is for, for your AMA 502 and 503 tests, they require that, that you have a, an AMA, you, that you have a master professional on staff that is reviewing and training and, um, of, of your technicians and uh, all of the reports. My understanding is there's not a lot of AMA master professionals out there. Is that correct? That is correct. Of course, the AMA credit test agencies that are out there will have one, will have at least one on staff. And then, then there are several um, window manufacturers that their field, their lead field people you know, for that train also. But yeah, I don't know the exact number, but yeah, there isn't a lot. Yeah, I thought I had heard like 125. I mean, like, you know, in the general scheme of things, not a big number. Correct. Let's talk about some of the test methods that are used in the field. You just mentioned AMA 502 and AMA 503. And I know yesterday you mentioned um, 511 as well. Let's talk about 2 and 503 first, and then 511, which, which is a forensic standard. We'll save that for last. Yeah, I'm a 502. We just completed. I happen to be, be the chair of the task group that the revision of, of the document. And we just completed that in 2021. Test procedure is it's. I'm going to get the exact title for everybody. It's voluntary specification for field testing of newly installed fenestration products. So, so basically, that, that is more of a quality control type test procedure. It's for both air infiltration and water penetration. And when we say newly installed, we mean that it's products that have been installed within six months. Like we started the, the podcast here, it's kind of, it's more of a, it's a quality control test procedure to confirm and verify that, that the windows and doors have been installed 
per, per the manufacturer's requirements. Typically, what, what ends up happening is, I'm just going to throw up a five-story apartment building, for example. It may have you know, 400 different window or door components, but the what the architect will do is say, I want to test X percent of the units as they're being installed to verify the different crews, the different individuals are all installing them correctly. That X percent, you know, could be from 1% to 3% or sometimes higher. And then, you know, so as things are being installed, that 50% of installation is what I recommend is test one or two. That way you can, you can catch things. If there are issues, you can catch them before everything is completely done. And it's, it's a lot easier to say a step was missing in flashing, for example. It's a lot easier to fix it on the fly before everything is installed. And you know, the requirements for the 502 is you test air infiltration per ASTB 783, which is the, you know, the, the, the standard test method for field air leakage. And then for the allowable, um, if not specified by the architect, AMA 502 recommends that the allowable is 1.5 times what was listed in the performance requirements of the section of the project documents. And the reason for that is just to account for field conditions. And then the water leakage is the water penetration testing is done per ASTM 1105. And kind of in, in line with the, the uh, additional air leakage allowance, AMA 502, unless the architect specifies differently, they recommend that, that you tested two-thirds of what's listed in the performance requirements section for, for test pressure. And then there's, uh, there's different areas of water leakage that, that have definition in the document, you know, just to kind of verify, you know, if, if, if things are, are leaking and if, if water is visible, if that's going to, going to be an issue or not. And then AMA 503, we're actually in the process right now of revising that document. It's, it's in final ballot. So, so the, the new document should be coming out in coming up here this year yet is, is a, a plan for publication. And AMA 503 is the voluntary specifications for field testing of newly installed storefronts, curtain walls, and slope gate glazing systems. So where 502 was meant for, for basically window and door products, AMA 503 is meant for the commercial fixed glazing type, type of products. And it, it basically had the same requirements. We tried, to, you know, we tried to mirror each other in these rewrites. It's, it's for products that's it's been installed within six months of installation. And we have the, the same air infiltration and water penetration requirements, you know, 1.5 times allowable, and then also, you know, two-thirds of product performance section requirements. So the, those are basically the, the two quality control procedures. There is one other one, the one that is out there. It's AMA 501.2. Basically, many may, may know that as the hose spray test method. That is done with, without a pressure differential across the product. It's just done on the exterior with, with, with calibrated um, spray nozzle. One thing that um, I'd like to highlight for everybody is to make sure that that test method is meant for non-operable products. And even more than that, non-sashed products, because you can have a fixed window that has a sash that is just fixed in place. That, that document, uh, that test method is, is not meant for that. It's meant for storefronts, curtain walls, and slope-gate glazing systems. It's a, it's a nice, quick quality control check. There's some controversy around that one, in my view, and how to properly use it. You, you already, you know, you're all over that. You already hit on it. But, you know, the title, and the most recent edition of that is, is AMA 501-2-15. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Um, yep. 
Yeah, so the title is Quality Assurance and Diagnostic Water Leakage Field Check of Installed Storefronts, Curtain Walls, and Slope Glazing Systems. So that seems to be basically the way the title reads, it seems to limit it to commercial rather than residential type of applications. Is that correct? It can be used for residential applications, but like I mentioned, it would have to be on a direct glaze product. It spells out in the scope pretty clear scope and purpose that it's not appropriate for testing of operable components, such operable windows and doors. If you have just a, just a direct glazed fixed window, it can be used on a residential product but not anything that has a sash. So you mentioned just backing up into going back to 502 and 503 for a second. You had mentioned that the test method used there is ASTM E1105. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it relates to the AMA standards? Okay, ASTM E1105, uh, it's the water penetration test, the test method that tells you how to perform static pressure differential water test. So basically the way the test is done is you build a chamber either on the interior or the exterior surrounding your product that you want to have test. And that chamber is built typically, can be done in many ways, but it's typically built out of, out of a wood framing with, with a clear plastic attached to it. And, and, and that is attached to, to the surround of, of the window or curtain wall, whatever you're, you're testing. And then you have a blower system that can either, if you're on the interior side, will create a vacuum between that plastic chamber and the product to simulate your different wind speeds based on the performance criteria that's listed in the project specifications. And then there's a method A and a method B that is performed. So you can either have um, a straight 15-minute static test where you're pulling the pressure the whole time, or you can have a cyclic test where you have um, five minutes with pressure applied one minute where the pressure is released, five of the replied, one with the released. And then the whole while during this testing, there is a spray rack that is put on the exterior side of the product that will apply a uniform water spray across the entire opening. And the water spray, you have to be between four and 10 gallons per hour per square foot you know, when you do your calibrations, but that is equivalent to approximately eight inches an hour of rainfall. Uh, it's not a... Um, a driven water spray, it's, it's more of a misting type water spray, but you are definitely saturating the exterior of the opening that you're testing, along with that static pressure vacuum or draw simulating the wind. That, that's how you get, you get, get the, the different test pressures and, and different criteria. You have, you have the exact same water spray, but you'll increase or decrease the, the vacuum that is being applied depending on the, the conditions of, you know, that you want to test to. And then during that testing, the reason we use clear plastic is you want to be able to make observations on the interior side of the product, including the, the rough opening surrounding it, to see if, um, if any water leakage is, is occurring. The water leakage could be from air leaks in different weather strip joints, you know, so you'll have a bubbling effect that will splash onto your plastic, you know, i.e., and that would be to the interior of your home, or it can overflow the sill, or you could have a frame corner that, that may leak, that, that may have be broken during transit, and, or you could you know, just have water leakage that is occurring from the installation. And that's where a lot of the, when we mentioned about you know, the, the, the training that is required, having your technicians being able to be trained to be able 
to diagnose and figure out where the water is coming from is, is, is very critical. So um, you mentioned the, the water spray rack and the eight inches per hour that they base, have based it on in the past. I noticed in the latest version of ASTM E1105, they don't reference that any longer. And in fact, they have a, an addendum that says, you know, that, that the, then objections to, to that being too severe in the past, and it's really not intended to replicate anything, only to be a baseline to compare products. Is, is that, do you, do you concur with that? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah, basically, the, the calibrations that, that are done on the spray rack is it's a catch box that are one foot square sizes. And then you, you put that in three different locations of your spray rack, uh, depending on the size of your rack. And then each of those areas have to be within four to 10 gallons per square foot. And then you have to have a total of 20 you know, of the four. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly where that, how that was calculated. I've never done it myself. That's just what, from the years of, of, doing, of running the test, that's a number that, that I've always been told. You know, so it's more of, you know, of having your spray rack calibrated for your gallons per hour per square foot. That number came long before you or, or I were ever involved in this, and, and we've been around for a long time. So yeah, but was, I agree. <laughs> it was an old deal. And I guess the other thing to just kind of add on to that is is the water spray that that's applied from a calibrated spray rack does not look extreme. I mean, it's, it's kind of a uniform spray that goes over the entire assembly. And I can just speak from personal experience, you know, living in Florida, that I've seen actual rainfalls put a lot more water in place than the spray rack does. So eight inches sounds like a lot, but the reality is anybody's seen the spray rack, it's really not severe. Yeah, it sounds like a lot, but it, it's more of a, you know, depending on the type of spray nozzle that you have, but it's, it's more of a, of a real heavy misting, dousing to, you know, to make sure that your exterior of the product is saturated is basically what it is. Yep, you're correct. Yes. Is it possible to use ASTM E1105 by itself without, without reference to any of the AMA standards? ASTM E1105 is a standalone document. It's kind of, you know, bizarre or maybe not bizarre, but it's actually the other way around. You know, you can't do AMA 502 without 1105. 1105 is basically the, the, the base document, and it just tells you how to perform the test. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any, doesn't tell you what pressures to use or things like that. It's just a test method, not a specification, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So let's segue into AMA 511. Yeah, AMA 511 is a forensics version of, of the documents. I was actually uh, the, the task group chair on that one. We, did, we just did the rewrite on that one also. So the actual title is uh, Voluntary Guide for the Forensic Evaluation of Water Intrusion at Fenestration Products. So this procedure is meant during your quality control testing, you, you do see leakage, and then you kind of go into AMA 511 and use 511 as more of the investigative to find out what exactly to pinpoint where that leakage happened. Another reason for 511 is... Um, um, like we mentioned before, 502 and 503 are meant for products that are within six months of installation. After six months, then you uh, perform the 511, which is a, you know, a little bit more involved. The prep is more involved. And then also um, for the forensics end of it, 
when previous water leakage has been observed, you would use 511. You know, when I mentioned the 511, is the reason it's, it's more involved, you have to do your homework prior to the testing. If at all possible, you, you want to interview, interview the, the, the building owners to find out exactly where and when water leakage has occurred, you know, has, has been observed, I should say. You know, say you know, if, um, during the month of, month of July, there was three occurrences where, where water leakage observed. So we can get that, those dates and then you can do the investigation back to find out, okay, what was the exact wind speed during that rainfall? So once we to determine what, you know, what the average wind speed was, the next step is to, to look at if that storm occurrence happened to be above the performance level of the product that was installed. And then, then you got to kind of um, put your thinking hat on. Okay, well, the storm, you know, was, was more than the window door, door should, you know, was, was certified to. So it, was it a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence? That's kind of what, where the homework has to be done. And then this kind of, um, this AMA 511, it's based off of ASTME 2128, which, which is the, you know, the ASTM International method of, of, of doing, the, doing the, the investigative testing on, on a facade. AMA 511 is more of the investigative forensic portion of, of testing as documented. So AMA 502 and 503 are for the first six months as a quality control check during or immediately after construction. So what does AMA 511 say about when it's appropriate to use that document? It doesn't, in the scope, it doesn't 100% spell it out exactly what, you know, it's appropriate to use it basically after six months of installation and if water leakage has been observed. If water leakage has been observed, then you go into 511, to, which, which kind of gives a step-by-step process, figuring out where that leakage occurred at. You know, what, was it just a, a, a pinhole in the, the weather barrier? Was it window frame corner for it? It, it kind of gives, gives you where to dig in and gives kind of a guide on, where, on how to dig in. Now let's talk a little bit about forensic investigation. One of the things that you might be tasked with assignment, you know, now that, now that you're with GCI. So what are the, if you get a call from a, a potential client or you get hired on a project that, you know, maybe it's a litigation, maybe it's not, you know, there's always the threat in the world we live yeah. in now, office or hotel apartment or whatever. And, you know, we're getting water leaks, a guy go out there and he's caulked and hasn't fixed them and, and we don't know what now. Can you help us? What would your approach be to, to, to a forensic investigation of water leakage? And kind of like what you do in the beginning into actually getting into the field work. The steps that, that I follow is during that initial phone call, just gather as much information as you can. You know, quite often you'll give the, the phone call will, will come from, from an attorney. So you know, they won't have a ton of information that they can tell you, you know, verbally, initially at least. But the steps is, you know, I ask all of the basic the project documents that, that they have available just to kind of see the as-builts. That can, can assist a person in, the, in the figuring out where to dig in if there is an issue. You know, instead of just going haphazard at it, look at the, all the project documents, which are the drawings and the project specs, and then kind of do it, talking to the building owner if, and do an evaluation of the design concept. Your forensics can, can not only be because of water water intrusion, it can be a vapor drive or different things like that. I mean, it might not even have anything to do with, with the rainfall. 
just figure out what, what the design concept that the building was meant for. And then interview as many people as possible that, that are in the building that have seen and or experienced the, the issues that, 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 are, that, are, that are being investigated. This is quite often, you know, the, the building maintenance people. Yes, you can kind of get determination of the, the service history that, that has occurred on the different uh, on the facade and also the, the leakage or the issues history. You know, so you can kind of um, start setting up a game plan. Once you have kind of um, a good idea of what the design, the design concept and the service history that, that is going on, then I like to perform just a, just a visual inspection where you get up and in a man lift or you know swing stage or, or whatever is needed. And then go and do, um, do an inspection just to, to find out, okay, based on all the data that we've collected, visually, is there something that, that really jumps out at you? And then if, if something really just you know, kind of jumps out at you, then, then you determine if you need to do um, investigative testing. And the investigative testing can be either destructive or it can be non-destructive. You have, you have to make a determination there. And the non-destructive testing is like what we've been talking about, you know, kind of doing the um, ASTM E1105 water spray testing or doing some, doing some 501.2 water spray testing. And this kind of, along with isolating different areas, this, this kind of, okay, you try to recreate the leakage that has been occurring. Once you complete your non-destructive testing, then you can look at it and figure out, okay, should we start tearing things apart? Start taking the exterior and or the interior off layer by layer and find out, okay, we know we have a watering tree occurrence happening in this, in this upper corner of, of this storefront window area. So let's start digging apart, find out, okay, was, was something missed lapped? Was some of the flashing incorrectly? Was a ceiling joint missed? Just digging in and finding out what, what is actually wrong. Um, and then once you have that done, then you're doing an analysis. And then um, that analysis can be, you know, just kind of stating what we saw, or it can get it as involved as, as you know, giving, I like to say, repair A, B, and C, suggested, you know, repair methods. You can with repair A. Is just kind of making it work. B is more involved in, in, in costly, and then C is basically sometimes just tearing tearing it out and putting it back in again and doing it correctly. But one of the one of the biggest things that I didn't um, highlight, you know, that I should have is when the non-destructive water spray testing when that is being done. So the purpose of that is to recreate a known leak. So that's why that that service history portion is so important to identify where leaks have occurred. There's been too many times where I've been on, on investigative testing and where we're testing one area because that's the area that, have, that has leaked you know, over time. And then all of a sudden there's, by, by the test facility agency, there's a, an aha moment. We have a leak that never, ever leaked before in the past. And as they say, oh, we got a leak over here. You can kind of say, well, that's fine, but that has never leaked in the past. So that means it's potentially over-testing that area. Or, but the purpose of the AMA 511 and ASTM 2128 is to recreate known leakage points. So when, when there's a leak, it could show up in a lot of different places, obviously. You can see you know, maybe water running down the inside of, of a window or glazing system. You could have you know, a very common area where you see water often is near the bottom frame corners, you could have it an operable product maybe being 
blown in, percolating in over the sill. You could have puddles on the floor. You could have ceiling stains on the floor below. A lot of different possibilities. So what do you need to do to when you're testing to basically be able to so say there's water puddling on the floor and then you do a non-destructive test and the puddle shows up on the floor. What do you need to do to figure that out? There's basically a step-by-step process. What you need to do is once we recreate the leak, make sure that everything is dried out and the, the leak ha- leakage has stopped. Then start from the lower points, do water spray testing at, at lower points and progress your way upward the, uh, on the facade. And then the, the whole time, you know, uh, basically isolating different areas. Because you know, ideally, you want to test one area. If you have, if you have, a, you quite often have an, have an idea of where this water is coming in. So on the exterior, with different types of sealing techniques, using you know tape, sealant, plastic, is isolate on the exterior, and so you're only testing one, one component or one joint at a time. And then if that leakage occurs. You start at the bottom, work your way up. And then as you get to a, a certain elevation on, on exterior facade, then you can pinpoint, okay, this is where leakage has occurred. And once you recreate that leak, the next step would be to start digging in and potentially doing some destructive, you know, just kind of digging things apart and, and seeing, you know, exactly what's behind the stucco metal panels or, or whatever you have. I know a sore spot a lot of times when, when we're going in into occupied um, buildings, particularly residential, it is fear maybe by the people who are, you know, the owners or whatever whose windows and doors are being tested it, with removal of interior finishes as part of the testing process. Why is that necessary and why is it important? Yeah, you pretty much have to, you have to tear the interior part. What, what I like to do is, is you know, basically pull off all of your sheetrock or, or, or casing returns, you know, surrounding your opening, your sill stool, and for your investigative portion. And then, then you want to uh, you know, probably pull your, pull your sealants and different things like that are between the window and, and the rough opening. If you can get a decent visual there, then you don't have to go any further. But sometimes you have to go, you have to go further and you have to start, you know, cutting out the, uh, the interior sheetrock walls, basically surrounding, typically below the window openings. It, uh, you know, so, so you can get observation to the interior of the exterior sh- sheeting of the building. The reason for that is, you know, as you run into these water tests, you, you may, you know, you may just have a pinhole in the sealant or flashing tape, you know, maybe four inches up on a nailing flange jam. As you're running the test, if you have the interior already taken out, you can actually see the, the stream of water or trickle of water that, that could be coming in. You know, so by having the interior tour, you know, pulled out for the forensic evaluation testing is very critical in order to determine you know, where, because it's one thing to, to know where the water enters the building, but then it's another to, to see make, you know, where it's actually, you know, visible on the interior side also. So what goes for better or for worse, what goes hand in hand with the forensic work oftentimes is a dispute or what I like to call it the blame game, but that's probably a more eloquent way to say that would be attributing responsibility to, you know, whoever maybe didn't do things correctly that that would cause this issue. So that's where obviously expert witness work 
comes in. And as I say, for better or for worse, it's kind of a natural extension of all this. So can you kind of maybe run through some of the things that occur when you're a litigation expert on a case? Oh, yes. Well, when I'm a litigation expert, um, what, I, you know, what I look at is, okay, I look at the project drawings. And then I also look at you know, the, the manufacturer's drawings and installation instructions and, and drawings. As we do the do the investigation, kind of keep on peeling back the onion, so to speak. Is okay. Was this installed per the project drawings? If it was not, okay, then which which um, trade in this building was responsible for for what portion of the install and yeah, and the weatherproofing? And then and you can kind of just keep on digging back and finding out which trade and what was responsible for what area. And then as you, you know, and you just, just keep on expanding on to, onto that, just um, seeing, okay, you know, you know, was it my main um, area of expertise for, you know, right now is, is, was it a window issue? And if it was, well, then, um, you know, then of course, then you, you talk to my customer would be the window manufacturer and say, you no, know, here's, here's, here's what some of the issues were. But if it, if it wasn't, then, then, then I just keep on digging back and digging in and finding, okay, which areas of the actual installation and the construction of the building weren't done according to the project specs and, and according to industry standards. And then on the litigation side, you would typically, would you produce a report with your findings? Um, yeah, yeah, depending on where, what stage of litigation is in, yes, there would be a report either disputing or contradicting or agreeing to you know, the, 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 the initial plaintiff report with all of their findings. Um, or just a report basically stating, okay, here's, here's exactly what I saw, here's exactly how it was installed and what the, the testing showed, and then, uh, and then issue that report to the customer, which, which can be used, you know, the, the litigation portion of it, yes. And just briefly, tell us about your experience with the litigation process, depositions, trial testimony, things like that. Yeah, as far as um, my, my experience, like I said, I've been doing... I've been doing the forensics and litigation work for probably about, and I don't know the exact first one was about, about 20 years back. It was the first one that I was involved, that, that I got heavily involved with. And it basically gathered all the facts, all the data, making sure that everything is, is correct. And then if the mediator can't, you know, during mediation, it, it, you know, things can't get resolved. Then it goes, gets into the, the, the deposition stage. They're basically being interrogated and asked questions by by all the different sides lawyers uh, just to kind of you know see where they can determine where I'm I'm coming from and in my, in my you know more or less my my experience you know if during after the depositions the multiple sides you know can come to a resolution well then then it does come to the litigation portion and then basically get on on the stand and and basically back up all of the, the test reports that I've written and, 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 um, and everything that I've seen and just give my side of the story. And you've testified in court before? Uh, yes, I've done it about a half a dozen times. Yes. Usually come down to that, but, but sometimes it does. And, um, that's a whole, whole different ball game, I guess, than, than anything else to wrap things up. You'd mentioned you're involved in, in some of that. And it sounds like you're very involved. Can, can you just kind of summarize that as well? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a PCI. We're members of um, FGIA, which is a parent organization for the AMA documents. I'm 
uh, the vice chair of the method of test committee, which with that, that committee, we basically, you know, as the title says, we oversee all the different test procedures and, and test methods that, that AMA looks at and, and produces. So the ones that I've been very heavily involved with is the revisions of, of AMA 502 and 511, which those two we have just recently completed in 21 and 22. AMA 503, well, actually within the week now, we'll have the, the, the ballot and the, the resolutions of the ballot. So that one should be coming out in, 2000, in, in 22. And then we're going to start digging into the AMA 501.2. And all the documents are very well-written, good documents. But as everything else, over time, things change, and you always want to refine and make them better. My involvement with, with, with AMA, and then I'm also on, I'm on their installation methods task group and committees just to kind of um, review their, their different installation guidelines that they have. And, and then I'm also a member of uh, the STM E6 committee, which the, the E6 committee is, along with a lot of other things, it basically um, entails all of the different um, building facade test methods and, and procedures and guidelines and that type of thing. So I'm on that committee, which the meetings come up here fairly shortly, you know, where, where you know, we're just continually revising and, and refining and, and making all the documents more user-friendly. Basically, it's basically by, by the, the best way of saying it, you know, because uh, myself included, once you, once you get, a, get a bunch of techie uh, individuals in, in, a, in a room, you know, you can make them pretty difficult to read. Uh, so our approach now is to kind of um, make them more user-friendly. Yeah, sometimes you need to have, some of them can be really difficult. That's a really good charge is to try and try and make them simpler. So you're a wealth of information, really interesting, and, and we're, we're super excited that you're part of the GCI team now. And, and, and I think we both agree that it was really, really a good fit. And, and also thank you for um, doing not one, but two podcasts to kind of go over everything. So it's, it's been really great. And, and thank you so much. Yeah, it's been, been my pleasure. And it has been, it's only been a few months, but, but it, it has been um, a great transition. I mean, I think that GCI and, and myself, I think we complement each other very well. Yep. Agree a hundred percent. So thanks again. So in closing, I would like to thank our listeners for listening to our podcast today. And I invite you to take a further look at our GCI consultant services on our website. You can find that at www.gciconsultants.com. You can also reach out to any of our experts at 877-740-9990 to discuss any of your building envelope needs. Thank you once again. I look forward to talking with you next time on our Everything Building Envelope podcast. So long, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.